and welcome to the 40th anniversary of the big review. See, can you believe it? It is the ruby anniversary of the show. And to celebrate, none of my co-hosts are here. Neither Owen Doherty nor Paul, Paul Moore are here. They're both off doing, uh, I guess, far more exciting things. Uh, but I'm going to prove them wrong because this is going to be the most exciting. Off the wall, you won't even know what's going to happen episode because I didn't write a script and I don't know what I'm going to say next. Let me just check the script here. What do I have to say next? Okay, so our guest this week. Hi, Cara. Hi. How are you? I'm really good. I'm so glad to be here for your 40th anniversary. Thank you so much for coming along. How do you feel about replacing not one but two of my co-hosts this week? Do you know something? I I feel very special. I feel quite honoured. And I think this could be the the new shape of the show from now on. I feel okay about it. Like, we will both have to be 1.5... Uh, as good as normal but I feel I am that anyway yeah I'm well able for this no problem no problem whatsoever so this week is uh, it's kind of a Halloween special in that uh, everything is tied to the big release this week Halloween Uh, we're going to be having some spooky questions some spooky reviews maybe a spooky high clue maybe a spooky a spooky clue spooky clue okay (laughs) (laughs) Um, but before all that the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, it's actually my big question this week uh, and since it is tied into Halloween the remake the sequel the reboot quill re- re- I don't know what, yep. I don't know what we're going to call it but over the years there has been a lot of Halloween movies but there have also been some amazing scary movies that had no sequels and no remakes uh, so my question to the gang uh, including those who aren't here is what horror movie or scary movie would you love to see get a sequel or a remake? Now that went out to everyone, even though they're not here. Uh, and up first is uh, Paul's lovely pre-recorded answer. With regard to the horror film that I would love to see given a sequel, I would have to go for uh, Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers. Um, if you haven't seen Dog Soldiers, it's a, a really, really good kind of B-plus concept film when a band of soldiers take on a pack of werewolves in the Scottish Highlands. Um, Featuring actually Liam Cunningham, who was in Game of Thrones and who um, Marshall actually would have gone to direct uh, two episodes of Game of Thrones. Yeah, just a really low budget, gory, tongue firmly in cheek horror um, that had potential to probably draw it out a bit more. Um, but uh, there's been a rumours for a sequel for ages, but it's never come to materialise. Uh, and I wouldn't mind seeing another uh, Dog Soldiers film. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Fetch! That was a that was a sound effect heavy clip there. I hope you hope you could visualize it. I, I definitely heard a machine gun and what sounded like a, a wolf. wolf. So, Dog Soldiers is a good title for that film. film have you ever I'm, seen it? I've never even heard of it, but actually, I, I like soldiers and I like werewolves, and I, I want to see it. I have I have seen it, and um, it is pretty good. It's very violent, and it has a fantastic line in it where one of the soldiers spoilers one of the sp- soldiers' name is Spoon, and he gets killed, and then someone asks, "Where's Spoon?" And then someone says, "There is no Spoon," like uh, the Matrix, because that's topical uh, right now. I'm sorry. So. Okay, Paul, Dog Soldiers 2. I would yeah, I'd be down with that. Yeah, it would be no, nice to see director Neil Marshall get a bit of a comeback. I know he's he's directed a lot of Game of Thrones episodes, but um, 
I'm not sure he's had big success in the cinema since uh, since his early days. Uh, cool. I did. Did Owen pick the same film? Let's see. Hi everyone, Owen here. Great big question this week. Uh, it's time for my big answer uh, that you can get into your big ears. Um, your ears are actually lovely, they're not that big at all. Um, one standout film for me, you'll be delighted to hear, not gazillions. Um, it's from 2014. It's actually one of my favourite films that I've seen in the cinema in years. Uh, it's an action horror thriller starring Mr. Dan Stevens, one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. It is, of course, the guest. I know Paul is a big fan. And actually, Rory, I think you were one of the first people who recommended it as well, years and years ago. Um, Dan Stevens, obviously, uh, most people would probably know him from Downton Abbey. He plays a slightly different character uh, in this one. A guy called David who returns from a war um, to be a guest at a house. And it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of thing that could potentially happen in real life, where Dan Stevens just turns up at your house. Um, but things kind of begin to spiral out of control and the family begin to get slightly suspicious of his uh, activities and some strange deaths that start occurring uh, in and around the town but yeah no I would love to see uh, the guest uh, come back uh, again in a sequel um, not a remake um, but uh, and Dan Stevens says he's actually open to potentially doing it so fingers crossed do it can I help you Mrs. Peterson Yes. My name is David. Mrs. Peterson, I, uh, I knew your son, Caleb. I was with him when he died. That's me. You know Caleb? Yes, ma'am. We're pretty close. <laughs> yes, ma'am. He wanted me to tell you that he loved you. Thanks. He asked me to check on y'all. And so we're gonna be good friends. Ooh. Have you seen the guest? I haven't. I'm really letting the horrors. Are you a film critic? Ooh. That's a nasty question, Mr. Cash. That's two for two now. So no big deal. No pressure. But you don't really like horror, though, do you? I've never been a big fan of horrors. Okay. Until recently, actually. I've had a bit of a horror shift. So I've a lot to catch up on. A horror shift. Cool really sounds wrong well it's that time of year that's true so <laughs> uh, I have seen the guest it is fantastic I'm curious as to what kind of life Owen Doherty is living that he thinks that's the kind of thing that could just happen that Dan Stevens will just show up at your door <laughs> I don't know whether it's hopeful thinking or, or, or uh, I mean or Dan Stevens no no offence he seemed like a perfectly nice man but if I open the door and you're standing there and you're asking can I stay I'm like well I don't know you but it's so, Dan Stevens and he you know I, I think I'd let him in I'm going to just let that settle <laughs> for a moment uh, and answer my own question before letting you answer it for me. Um, my one is, is, have you ever seen a film called Dead Cam? Yes. With Sam Neill and Nicole Kidman. I have. And they're uh, sailing a boat and they're kind of trying to get over um, a traumatic event that has yeah. recently happened to them. And they happen across a sunken boat in the middle of the ocean and on board is Billy Zane and he's unconscious and they drag him over and he wakes up and he's very charming to begin with and then he goes full psychopath and of course the fact that you're out in the middle of the sea means you're kind of stuck in a very claustrophobic environment with him that is based on the second half of a book and the first half of the book takes place entirely on the boat that Billy Zane was on and how he slowly but surely murdered 
I think it's eight people on board that boat and then causes it to sink and then is found by uh, Sam Neill and Nicole Kidman. So if they... the Dead Calm by itself is a fantastic movie. It's a very tense little thriller. Um, but if they made a film out of the first half and then it ended with uh, Sam Neill and Nicole Kidman arriving and that was the final scene, Ooh. I think that'd be an amazing little prequel to uh, to an already really really good film, they'd have to recast obviously because Billy Zane he's still a really good looking man, but he uh, he's aged in the decades since Dead Cam has come <laughs> out. Um, but I think that would that'd be fantastic because the book itself is is brilliant and the first half is really really violent, but also would make a fantastic scary movie. That's, How do you feel about that? Yeah, I actually I never knew that there were, there was a, there was more. Yeah, there you that. go now. There you go now. Every day's yeah. a school day at the big Vuski. Yeah, no, that comes great, a great film actually. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. I, I think it's it's on the telly this week at some point. Uh, it may be on the telly right now as you're could listening be, to the podcast. Be. So uh, <laughs> anyway, Cara, tell me. So I actually only went I went back a couple of years just to 2015 and I decided to keep it Irish. Okay. With the hollow. Okay. It was directed by Karen um, Hardy. Karen Hardy, yeah. The, the nun dude. Yes. It's got Joseph Mall, uh, Michael McElhatton and Michael Schmiley, who I always love in things. Michael Schmiley's amazing. It is set in, it's set in the countryside. Uh, there's eco, and eco, I'm not sure what his technical term is, but there's a logging company that's going to come in and take down a local forest. Mm. And there's a, an eco warrior scientist dude there to kind of monitor the tree situation. Yeah. And the locals are like, don't go into the woods, don't disturb them. If the locals tell you not to do something, it's probably for a really good reason. Yeah. So, of course, they go in and things do happen. There's little there's little Irish ghosty creatures living in the woods and yeah. things that grow out of people. It's really dark and twisty. And it's, yeah, it, it, it didn't, I don't think it did terribly well. It was very quiet. Yeah. But it was sufficiently creepy and it's nice to have that kind of Irish mythology in Oh, there. yeah. And it did leave, it left on a note for a sequel, but it just it hasn't happened. So I think yeah, I don't, I don't think it made enough money or, or got enough attention. That's really. the thing. I think it's an attention thing. I think actually it's one of those ones that if it had gotten out there or word of mouth, I think actually it's quite a solid little film. Yeah, I, I agree. There's, there's so much Irish uh, mythology that could very easily translate over to a modern day horror if... Uh, you know the right person wrote it and the right people spent money on it so uh, even if it wasn't necessarily a sequel to that there could be like an anthology that Irish yeah, mythology there's series there's so many different ones out there so yeah, yeah I think or, or you get, what's the Hellfire Club yeah I mean that would be fantastic yeah. there's, so there's definitely something to be said there so they're all our uh, picks uh, if there is a horror film that has not been remade or sequelized or prequelized that you think uh, deserves more attention do let us know at Big Review Ski and text us at 77662 perfect thanks Thank, text us at that number um, and we will we'll definitely see your tweets texts I don't know I don't know who has the phone someone has it uh, so that is the big question up next is the example high clue now oh, no. it is as you can hear Kara's favourite part of the show um, I have given this over to Mr. Paul Moore. Uh, even he can more be, now. He, yeah, I know. Some of his can be like the most mind-bending high clues and some of them I get them usually. So, very hit and miss. Let's see what you got for us, Paul. hey Sorry, guys, that I couldn't be there today. Um, I'm off chatting to someone who's far more interesting than Owen and Rory. But uh, the lads did ask me to send on the sample high clue for this week. So, here it goes. Okay, first line. Young, rich, sickly ghost. 
that's young rich sickly ghost line two people die hard and shrink people die hard and shrink and the third line c marriage is dead and that c is spelled s-e-e altogether that's young rich sickly ghost people die hard and shrink c marriage is dead i'm sure rory will probably get it in about five seconds and uh, as for own well you know it's all about the trying on okay so he's wrong i didn't get it in five seconds um i feel like i won't get it in five minutes either any clues any any uh, indications when he said young sickly young rich sickly casper came to mind i don't know why what was the second one? Uh, people, <laughs> people die, die hard, hard and shrink. And shrink. So that's either Bruce, <gasps> Bruce Willis, and shrink. Shrink. So it's the sixth sense. So, yeah, right. Young, young, sickly young. ghost. That's yeah, your one young, who, young, who vomits yeah. in the tent. Has to be right. And what was the last line? Uh, see, marriage is dead. See, yeah, because he he his, his, his wife. Yeah, uh, maybe people haven't seen it. Is also in the film. Um, <laughs> I feel Paul's going to. Revealed the twist ending to the film that came out 19 years ago, but let's see. Right, oh, I think that was probably an easy one, and I'm sure even, sure even Owen probably got it. Uh, so yeah, that was, of course, The Sixth Sense, directed by N. Night Shyamalan, Lama Lama Ding Dong, N. Night Shyamalan, don't sue me. Um, yeah, uh, 20 years old uh, this year, uh, Oscar nominated for Best Picture and I think Best uh, Director for him and uh, yeah Bruce Willis was in that film the whole time the whole time that's the twist first one young rich sickly ghost that's Misha Barton she's in uh, The Sixth Sense she's that uh, ghost that has the sick coming out of her mouth and that great scare and uh, young rich she was uh, a rich socialite in the OC most famous role uh, and she was a ghost in the film second line people die hard and shrink uh, you know I see dead people die hard Bruce Willis and he's a shrink in the film and final line see marriage is dead I see dead people again first line and marriage is dead um, the big clue throughout the film is that he doesn't speak with his wife so their marriage is dead and he also sees dead people okay have you heard of the high council the high clue council there's been issues before where people have given high clues and there's been problems with them and uh, we've had to go to the high council. My problem here is that people the middle line people die hard and shrink no one shrinks. There is a shrink There's that. Oh, that's true but if you're going to go to a high council does this mean it's voided out and then the fact that I actually got one right. You have to wait to get the, to, get, to get the results back from the tests or whatever but like uh, I'm I'm hmm, I'm putting a big question mark over that one. We still got it right. But I don't feel he got the I don't feel he got the high clue right. Well, which you is, just can't, you just just don't take away from me actually. No, like we both got it right, but it mm, itself may not have been right. So high council next week, full full evidence, prosecutors, high judge, the lot. Excellent. I'm going to wear the wigs and the, the capes. The whole yes, Ooh, the big high, high wigs. Okay, so mm, pause high clue out of the way. We're on to the top ten. To celebrate the fact that neither of uh, my co-hosts are here this week, I'm going old school. That's just for you, Owen. Uh, less so, Paul, because I know you hate it just as much as I do. But I, I love it. Why? It's gorgeous. It's creepy. It's, it's, it's so gorgeous. No. And it reminds me of being small and watching Golden Age Hollywood films on a Saturday morning. 
Were you small in the 1930s? Maybe. <laughs> no, this is no. This music is like if The Conjuring Three was set in a cinema, and they were like, "Come, come, creepy Dude, ghost." Don't take away from it. And make I it hate wrong. It. You make everything wrong. I hate dark it. And I twisted. hate it so much. Okay, here's the top ten. Number ten, Night School, with my future wife Tiffany Haddish. You didn't care for it. I can see no. from your your shaky head. No. no. Number nine. <laughs> Cliff Richard live the 60th anniversary tour. I do you know some things? I I would nearly had to go and see that. What? But thankfully that didn't happen in the end. I can't. Uh, so many people went I to see for, Cliff Richard live. All right then, fair enough. Number eight, Bad Times at El Royale, which I thought was okay, but a bit too long. Far too long, but I did enjoy it. Some great performances. Is that anything to do with the fact that Chris Hemsworth stopped us for a good amount of it? It certainly contributed to it, but um, I no, I actually thought it was yeah, I thought there was great characters in there, just yeah, far too long. Number seven is Goosebumps Two: Haunted Halloween, which uh, did some previews over the weekend, and we will get to the review of later in the show. Number six is a film called Clur, K L E R. What? Legit, never heard of it, but it is number six in the box office according uh, to Clur, K L E R. Are you sure that's not a typo? No, positive. I'm looking up IMDb as we record because that's how much I care about it. Three Catholic priests meet to celebrate the anniversary of an event which could have taken their lives. Their experiences and motivations to serve as priests are extremely different, and soon each of them will have to face new challenges. That may be the most boring film is I've it ever a documentary? heard of. No, no, it's not. It's Polish and it's two hours and 13 minutes that I will not be in the cinema for. So that's number six. Congratulations, Claire. Number five is First Man, Ryan Gosling in space. Uh, I loved loved the space stuff. Didn't care for the honoured stuff, although I did think uh, Claire Foy was fantastic. She was fantastic, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Number four, Johnny English strikes back. No, strikes again. No. Strike off. Did you see it? Oh, I did, yeah. Is it bad? Oh, it's gorgeous. I don't... Absolutely terrible. I really don't understand the uh, mentality. It's... It's, and it really is they're just getting worse as they go along I just I, I can't for the uh, the only thing I gave this film one star and that Ooh. whole star went to Emma Thompson because she's brilliant in it she's brilliant in everything though yeah. and she and should I, she should not be in this but otherwise it was a zero but it's got a, it's, I mean Charles Dance is in it it's got this whole like Olga Kurlianko all, yeah and who's the, an actual Bond girl yeah who is doing an impersonation of herself as a Bond girl which oh, is just oh grim no, grim no. okay well hopefully <laughs> that's the end of that hopefully <laughs> uh, number three is Venom fallen from number one last week uh, It's I think it's already made over 400 million worldwide which is means the sequel's on the way do uh, you know something it's fairly dodgy on so many levels yes. but I loved Tom Hardy's mad mad performance in that film he did remind me of Jim Carrey and Laura Lair. or yeah yeah a bit of that a bit of Marlon Brando when he was extra crazy there's a whole lot of okay. things in there and I just thought he gives a fantastic performance he's in a different film he's in a to different, everyone else he's in a different tree in fact yeah uh, but I would happily watch another Venom if he was going to be in it especially considering what the end credit scene yeah. sets up for the next one which looks like an equally crazy character yeah. playing an, e- an even more uh, crazy role which is exciting uh, number two is Smallfoot Oh, it's so gorgeous! I haven't seen this one. Oh, this is Channing beautiful. Tatum as the as the yeah, Yeti or whatever. Yeah, the Yetis live in Yeti lands and they have this fear. Hang on, step back. <laughs> Yeti land. I've just made that up. Oh, I was like, oh, I've but got a problem here now. <laughs> there is a land in which the Yetis live. Okay. And the Yetis are this lovely, peaceful people, and mm. they're just really happy. And their biggest fear in life is the small foot. 
which is really funny because obviously the people's biggest fear is the Bigfoot. And okay. <laughs> a, a small foot comes into their life and it's all, it's lovely actually. There's a lot of stuff going on and it's all about how fear can be just inbuilt through history and time and that you don't necessarily need to fear something just because it's different. It's all about understanding and communicating. But there's some beautiful messages in there. The songs are gorgeous and oh, it's just, it's like a big warm hug from a Yeti. The message sounds like my... Um life experience with sushi where I'm like I don't care for this I don't ever want any of this oh, no, but then actually, once you overcome yeah, the fear yeah, you just, <laughs> but actually there's even they do this fantastic sequence that's an animation within an animation about the history of fear between yetis and humans and they actually even use the word genocide in it which I think is really unusual Jesus. in a kids film there's a lot of layers in there but it's really smart really clever and yeah I'd really recommend get out there bring okay. your little people and you know I do love like uh, I like if obviously it doesn't matter how the film is, but like I do love when an animated film is great because they um, almost invariably end up being some of my favorite films of the year, like Inside Out or uh, yeah, no, Wally it's definitely from previous years. Lovely film. The songs are gorgeous in it as well. And lovely masters. Oh, it's just lovely. Oh, 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 okay, well, keep some of your emotions for number one. A Star Is Born <laughs> has made it to <laughs> the top of the Irish charts. Uh, believe it or not, we wrote about it on Joe because it's absolutely smashed it. It's already up to. 1.5 million as of last weekend, which is a huge amount for a film about uh, uh, a singer who, well, a singer who's never really acted before, directed by someone who's never really directed before. So it's going to it's gonna win a lot of Oscars. It did make me cry. Oh, it made me cry a lot. A lot. Uh, I have not stopped listening to the soundtrack. Yeah, I can't. I'm like, complete repeat. You still uh, get misty-eyed and teary-eyed thinking about it. I was out in a nightclub over the weekend and they played a remix to Shallow. Oh. And there was people dancing to Shallow. And I was like, that's not the emotion you're supposed to feel right now. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 actually making making itself a bit of a, a cultural like landmark at the moment. And I could not be happier for everyone. Um, especially writer, director, producer, composer and actor Bradley Cooper who we yes, interviewed yes. Did you? Yes Oh yes I saw it I'm sorry my, my brain fritzed out there I That's forgot. okay I forgive you It's because you. I'm this close to somebody who interviewed Bradley Cooper <laughs> That's fine I, I, I understand um, As I said last week it's, it's the only time I've ever gone into a press room and people who've already interviewed him have come out and gone He's, he's too good looking I can't I actually I, asked, I wanted him not to make eye contact when he was upsetting um, and I was like, don't be stupid. And then I went in and I was like, oh, don't look at me, Bradley Cooper. I'm I, disgusting. I think if he, if I had a French freedom and he had have had his star is born hair, I think I would have been ended altogether. That shaggy, the shagginess. Okay, All well. shaggy people. Well, listeners, you now know Kara's <laughs> preference on hair length. <laughs> so that's always good to know. Up next, now that we've done the top 10, we're going to break into the review section. We're going to be joined in a moment by, an, uh, by another person. But before then... Here is a clip from the trailer to Halloween. Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? Who the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. So that was a clip from the trailer from the uh, Halloween 2018 edition. The conservatively, I don't know, 47th Halloween film in the series. I haven't seen it, uh, which upsets me greatly because I'm a huge Halloween fan, love horror movies. But 
in my stead. There are two people here to discuss it. Dave Hanratty. Hello. Hey, man. I. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> and our series, like a regular at this point, Kara's back. I'm back. You're back. Hello. back. So, I have, I have nothing to say because I haven't seen it. So... All I know is that they're pretending the other ones didn't exist except for the first one. Jamie Lee Curtis is back. It's the 40th uh, anniversary. Take it away. Well, okay. So, yeah, you, you've nailed the particulars there. All sequels do not exist. None of them. Not even the good ones, like H2O, which I think is kind of underrated. I appreciate H2O. Yeah, it's, it's great, got a, right? It's got a nice scream vibe. Jamie Lee Curtis, though, said that she did it for a cash grab. Like, she's been very open about this. She said that she thought the script was good, but the execution wasn't great, mm. which is kind of fair. It's a bit workmanlike. It's very 90s, but I did enjoy it. It's the most 90s film ever. Yeah, and it doesn't have Buster Rhymes' Kung Fu Kick and Michael Myers, which would come in 2002 in the film that she was unceremoniously killed off in as well. So none of that ever happened. Man. But that's Forget like it. her second time dying. I think <laughs> yeah. she died in the second one as well. At the end of it, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so she's been dead a bit. But now she's back for the third time. She's back for the third time, and this time she's basically Sarah Connor. She is a survivalist grandmother who is a badass and has spent her entire life preparing for the return of Michael Myers, who, wouldn't you know, is being transported from a facility on Halloween night, 40 years to the night when he first stalked and slashed his way around Illinois. And uh, do you think it goes okay, or do you think anything bad happens? Well, considering there's a film about it, I'm going to go on a limb and, and guess it doesn't go according to plan. Things go wrong. He celebrates the anniversary violently. He, he does, yeah. He really does celebrate it. He celebrates it well. In a very, like, Michael Bloody, Myers stabby, kind of way. slashy kind of way. Like cutting a cake on your birthday, except for him, it's people. This is the thing. I mean, like, so David Gordon Green came in. He wrote the script with Danny McBride and Jeff Radley. John Carpenter, who is executive producing, obviously, because, you know, he gets the credit because he created this whole mm. thing along with Deborah Hill. Uh, he's also like been creative consultant and he does the music so he's involved and he was talking this up very very big he was saying they've blown me away with this script they're going to terrify you guys I can't wait for you to see it the standard guff that you would expect yeah like James Cameron on Terminator uh 72. Genesis, I think, Genesis, was where he yeah, lost his yeah. mind saying it was amazing. And this is a similar output, unfortunately, because uh, John Carpenter acquits himself very well. He does the music on this one with, with his son, Cody, and another musician called Daniel Davis. And the music is very good. It's also a little bit buried in the mix, though, which is a shame, but he gets good motifs in here and there, and it's, it's enjoyable work. Jamie Lee Curtis, as well, I think is absolutely brilliant in this film. Mm. And that's where my praise runs out. I think this is an absolute mess. I think it's incredibly wow. boring. It's really boring, which is unacceptable for a horror movie. It's not scary, which is unacceptable for a horror movie. Movie, and it's just dull plodding slasher by numbers and you don't care you don't care about any of these characters who all might as well have timers over their heads until their inevitable demise it's so stock it's so boring so not not hugely positive vibes from Dave there Cara would you uh, second that uh, <laughs> not, not as quite as critically it is not scary at all and I'm, I'm actually not sure though is that because Michael Myers just isn't scary anymore I mean, every Halloween party you go to, somebody's there with the mask on him. Mm. You know, he peers behind you and you go, oh. but I don't know whether it's it's partly to do with him having Overexposure. Lost. Yeah, because really, you, you know he's going to appear behind somebody and cut their head off or stab them to bits. Yeah, but like the point is that they do that well. Like, yeah, so... It's like, a, it's like a fart joke. If it's timed well, it's still funny. True, yeah. I I wasn't completely bored. I thought it's it started out with an okay idea and you're right Jamie Lee Curtis is brilliant mm -hmm. in it and there's some interesting things in there her PTSD didn't go down well with her daughter who has gone to be the complete opposite and she's all about love and fluffy and bunnies that's Judy Greer isn't <laughs> it Judy yeah. Greer and she's very good at lovely fluffy bunnies sure. sort of thing so there's a, there's a lot of good ideas in there but yeah it just it falls apart as it goes along and it just isn't it isn't scary considering it's uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride mm -hmm. did yeah. the script is it 
funny. They try. They try and have moments which kind of make no sense. Like they have asides for characters who, again, you're waiting for them to get killed off. Like there's a sequence where like this kid is out like, in it with his dad in like a car, and they go to investigate what's gone wrong. And the kid is kind of saying, "Oh, it was great to be out hunting with your dad, but I'd rather be at my dance recital." And you're like, oh, "What kind of commentary are you guys trying to make here?" There's two cops having a conversation later on about their lunch, and it just feels like character building but trying to be witty and kind of you know like almost bizarrely so but it doesn't fit in mm. the, it's yeah it's weird sorry it's to cut across you there the scene with the, the little kid and the babysitter oh yeah I mean, that was quite funny there's a lovely set there's a lovely child babysitter dynamic but I mean they kind of get wasted and stabbed very quickly very very quickly so from this Halloween review I'm, I'm getting boring and a little bit funny which is not what I'd expect from a horror film. It's not scary. <laughs> like, like, like as we said, I mean, that's the shocking thing. There are jump scares because, of course, there are. Not too many of them, but it just isn't really compelling. It feels lifeless. It feels pointless. Uh, I would agree that like the Jamie Lee Curtis kind of PTSD angle is is well handled. Although even that feels like it kind of falls short a little bit. She's brilliant though. She sells the material absolutely perfectly. There's definitely something really fascinating about the idea of her giving up her entire life and ruining her daughter's life, and almost subsequently ruining her granddaughter's life as a result of these paranoid ramblings. But they're not paranoid ramblings as we know, because inevitably it will go down, and it does, and it's justifiable in that regard. And it is great to once again much like Halloween H2O see Jamie Lee Curtis kicking Michael Myers ass at the end mm. of this but I think Cara makes a really good point Michael Myers isn't scary anymore because we've had like nine other different variations of this and it's the same it's the same problem with like Pinhead with Leatherface with Freddy Krueger Jason Voorhees the more you see of these kind of nightmares and, and we always want more of the nightmare but the more you get, the less scary it is. Yeah. And like, he doesn't go full Rob Zombie and give him like a demystifying, you had a bad childhood backstory, thank God. But the thing about the Rob Zombie films, while they're not great and they're pretty bad, at least they had personality. David Gordon Green stamps no personality on this and no atmosphere. Right. Which is really, really bad. Does it end in a way that you're like, okay, this is done now? Or is it like, mm-hmm. sequel bait? Total sequel, but it's a bit of an odd one. There is, yeah, this, it's left completely open in a strange way because I don't really know what they meant by it. Can't obviously say no. without spoilering. <laughs> but I'm, you, I'm you've you've sa- accidentally given people a reason to go see the film now. But no, I've no way. I'm trying to do a hand signal. The ending is equal parts, I think, effective and anticlimactic. It actually was kind of one of those things where I saw a fellow critic who will not be named leaving the cinema before the credits came up. Right. And I thought, oh, come on, man. Like, there's clearly going to be one last bit. And then there isn't. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of bold and brave, but also leaves you feeling just kind of empty. But the whole thing just feels kind of empty. I mean, you have these characters in there who, who are featured quite heavily in the trailer of like these two British podcasters who mm. are kind of like, you know, making their own version of Siri. We brought your mask, Michael. That's yeah. the opening scene. And like a part of that works and a part of it is goofy as hell. But also those characters borderline on being cartoons. They do. And and but even the, the, the other inmates in the, in the oh, asylum. Yeah, it's so I mean, each one, obviously he's in a really high class facility for people who are exceptionally dangerous or, or unhinged. But each unhinged person in there is playing like an uber character of what somebody unhinged would do. Yeah. So that even that's and the thing with the mask, their big thing is he hasn't spoken in forty years and they want to get it they want to get him to talk, so they bring him his mask and wave it. And everybody like what were they trying to do? They're, t- and they're trying to like d- display that evil is being activated in this kind of moment. And like as like as a pre-credits thing goes, not bad. 
kicks in and it kicks into that wonderful music like that the best for my money the best horror music theme of all time mm-hmm. it's absolutely brilliant and I actually read like an interview or, oh I read the production notes for this and they said that like when they met with John Carpenter Diane McBride was there and he was just trying to keep it together because he's this is like my hero and at one point John Carpenter's phone rang and it's the Halloween theme <laughs> and he was saying that's sure. when I lost it like this is great I love this guy and we all love John Carpenter he's cool he's sure. a cool cool guy he makes great stuff uh, you know obviously he's more focusing on music these days than directing which is probably for the best you know the old Quentin Tarantino you punch yourself out eventually thing I think he recognised that himself and it's it's smart for him to kind of you know kind of get involved with this and say the right things mm. but again I mean if you they're, they're so beholden to the original while also trying to make their own thing and they've been really at pains to say no no this is not a remake this is a brand new story but it is a remake it's a retread it, you've seen it a million times and the characters are just on screen long enough to develop a small bit of personality before getting offed and in some cases you're like oh this guy's a bit of a creep grand cool no problem kill him Michael like it, it's just really pointless there's nothing to really root for outside of Jamie Lee Curtis who once again like I say might be the sole reason to see this and she is genuinely excellent in it I just wish she had a better script. Yeah, and I heard this might be her final film ever. So really, yeah, she retiring. said she might be retiring completely. So uh, let's hope not, because if it is is not good as you guys are saying, then it's kind of a bum note to go out on. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for coming in to review. Carrie, you're going to hang on. I'm because dead. we've got another one. Uh, we've got to review Goosebumps Two: Haunted Halloween, and here's a clip from that trailer. Haunted Halloween. you miss me? You discovered a walking, talking dummy and you didn't tell me? Okay, well, he seemed like a really nice guy at the start. (laughs) Right? Jokes, kids. Funny? No. That was a clip from the trailer for Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween as if there could be any other kind of Halloween. You know what I mean? There could be. Yeah, no. There is. Yeah. Uh, It's the sequel to the 2015 hit, question mark, uh, which featured Jack Black and in my opinion was basically let's do Jumanji but at Halloween. Um... Which was fine. It made a lot of money. I have literally no memory at all of it, of, of ever having seen it. People have told me I was there. I went, um, I went to one of those family screenings. I brought a good friend of mine and her preteen daughter and her friend because they seemed like the right age to bring to it. Sure. I, so I do recall there was lots of jellies and the kids went a bit mad. Right. But they were suitably scared at one point, which is quite funny because they were sort of 11-ish and they were doing this, I'm not afraid of things anymore. And then something happens and they both kind of started hiding. It's quite cute. Okay. Well, uh, what did you think of the first one? I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, People keep saying this to me. I really cannot remember it. No, it was. I think Jack Jack Black is really... You can take him or leave him. When he's good, he's good. When he's bad, he just drives me up the wall. Sure. I really liked him in Goosebumps. It it, it was that right level for him. He's he's acting with kids, which he is good at, but he didn't go over the top. Mm. And there was some nice... Yeah, I actually really enjoyed it. There was a nice... There's a nice kind of little love story chucked in there between the, the neighbour kid who got things wrong about his daughter so who was hiding because of the things with the spookies and blah 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 I'm making so much sense now but we know it was a nice little film actually it was good it had that You used blah 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 and a lot of filler words which makes me think you don't remember the film too I'm well trying, either it was, Look it was 2015 It was a long time ago okay <laughs> But I do remember coming out and thinking Jesus Jack Black was alright now that's grand so Okay well 
he's barely in this. I think he he has on screen uh, time of maybe three minutes, and it's it's very late into the film. He does voice uh, Slappy, who is oh, the evil dude. puppet who's who's back again. Uh, the plot of this is again essentially Jumanji. They find a a, a manuscript of his uh, opening all the characters from inside comes Again, out did they yep. not learn anything from the first time when they, they opened a these are these are different kids though oh. so it's not like it's the exact same film with the exact same plot because it's different where did he get different kids from oh they're all over the place these kids are different his, kids are they his kids no no because he's not in the film oh. remember but where did they get the manuscript exactly oh they okay. just kind of find it <laughs> Maybe they didn't get them all back because didn't one of them no. Slappy accidentally let them all out the last time when there was a thing of no, it's trying just, to get the manuscripts back so maybe one was No, this was this was road. one that he just wrote years ago and forgot that he had. Why would you do and that? And he hid it he hid it uh, behind the fireplace in a house that he do, he doesn't live in. Why would he do that? Yes. Exactly. Okay. You think asking questions about the plot of Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween is a is a good thing. Well, <laughs> we will be here all night trying to make sense here, of it. I have it. a valid question. <laughs> Hit in, me. In the trailer, there is the gummy bears. There's gummy bears, and they, there are gummy bears. That yep. look quite funny. Is that funny? No, not really. No, like none of it's none of it's. It's not a bad film, but it might be one of the laziest films I've ever seen. I think it has exactly half the budget of the first film, and it really feels like a cheap version of Goosebumps which itself felt like a cheap version of Jumanji I feel he wandered onto the set of the house with clock on its walls and didn't realise it wasn't Goosebumps too. do you know something I don't know what he was doing in that film because he was the the, I would have I would have put anybody in the house with the clocks with the the you can get there walls the house with the clocks with the walls in it than him because he walked into a 1950s film and played a character from now Mm. that just wrecked my head and do you know what he does in Goosebumps too? He walks into a, a 2018 film playing a character from the 1950s. He's all uh, yeah, like right, yeah. rapid fire talking to kids who don't fully understand what he's talking about. There's one really good joke in there where he throws a dig at Stephen King, which I really appreciated. Like Ken Jong is in this. Uh, Chris Parnell is in this. Madison Iceman, who I think was in, uh, he was... I think she was the one in Bridesmaids who was like, I broke his sheet in half. <laughs> Remember her? Yeah. Um, there's some good adults cast who are completely wasted. Ken, like Every time Ken Jong is on screen, I was like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. How much did I pay you for this? Um, yeah, uh, I've been told that, that kids would probably love this. And considering it's only been in cinemas two days last weekend, and it's already number seven, at the box office it's going to do what it's House a with a Clock in its Walls did yeah. a few weeks ago where it'll it'll do really well over Halloween especially uh, but I don't think it'll last long Smallfoot has a Christmassy vibe because it's set in Yellyland yeah, like su- you said yeah I was surprised they released that so early it, they're hoping it will last I'd say that's a, that's a long reach it's a long, it's a long gap um, but yeah uh, Goosebumps 2 would give it a miss they've set it up for a Jack Black heavy Goosebumps 3 which uh, I'll probably go to see having no memory of seeing this one or the first one. So, good luck with that. It will it will definitely make its tiny budget back. Congratulations to everyone involved. Yay. Let's hope we never do this again. So, what we aren't reviewing this week because it wasn't shown to Irish press, unfortunately, is uh, Fahrenheit 11.9, which is Michael Moore's follow-up to Fahrenheit 11. And also Hunter Killer. I cannot wait to see I, this little. I can't wait. I'm so excited to see Jared Butler 
pilot a submarine he gave a press conference the in the white house to the, pen- the pentagon to the pe- to tell them what it was oh. like to be on a ship he spoke to people who had lived on submarines for at least 10 years let life. me tell you as jared butler what it's like in a submarine you've I, no idea I can't what wait. it's like I'm gonna on go the to, set of a submarine i'm gonna go to this on friday i'm so I'm excited i'm going of course i'm going made me popcorn can't that's, wait that's my weekend made like anything jared butler's in even when I know it's terrible, I'm like, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yeah, I, no, I can't wait. I'm so I, very excited. I'm so excited. Uh, so that's our review section done. Uh, next up, we've got... Oh, I think we've got an, another high clue. But this one isn't... Well, we can... we can Do we? But if you know the answer, we're not to say it out because it's 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 for the listeners. This one is from Mr. Owen Doherty. Are you ready? Are you ready for competition high clue? Yes, I am. Oh, yeah, you get the idea. Um, so, yeah, this week's competition high clue. Well, genuinely, are you ready? Pens, paper, here we go. Zazu celebrates. Rains down on weatherman's girl. King's Diary Foe. So that again is Zazu celebrates, and Zazu is capital Z uh, A Z U Z A Z U. Do we see Z or Z? Anyway, Zazu celebrates. The second line is rains down on weatherman's girl. Weatherman apostrophe s, uh, and then the final line, King's Diary Foe, and King's is King apostrophe s as well. Uh, for the middle line, Rains is R-A-I-N-S, as in the weather, uh, not R-E-I-G-N-S. So one last time, Zazu celebrates Rains Down on Weatherman's Girl, King's Diary Foe. See ya! Are you ready? Has he been sniffing nail varnish remover? I can't be sure. I haven't seen him in a while. This is the most unhinged I've heard anyone Something's on a happened. podcast something, and I, something bad has happened I don't one. I feel concerned but not not concerned enough to do anything about it you're a good friend <laughs> so I own if if you're listening I hope you're okay uh, and if you're not listening why aren't you listening this is you're, you should be listening to this podcast uh, any idea no no okay the only I actually can't say anything I will say Zazu to me was a character's name from a very famous cartoon uh, and I know who voiced that character, and that's uh, that's all I'm willing to say. Not because I don't know the answer, but oh, because I don't no, want to, no, I don't, I don't want to give too many clues away. I don't want to give any clues away. That's 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 the real reason. Uh, okay, thanks for that, Owen. Do get help. I feel better soon. Okay, so recommendation time. It's time to recommend some stuff. Coming up to Halloween, I was like, we should find something scary. There's bound to be a You would think so, wouldn't you? You has to be. You'd be like, of course there's scary stuff on the telly. Or, you know, something, a good horror film. No. None. Not not between now and next Hang week, on. anyway. Is, is there just none on, or is there no good ones on? Yes. Right. Got it. Clear now. <laughs> um... But like I guess we are still technically two weeks away technically. from uh, from Halloween at, at the time of recording. So what I've done instead is found what I think is a mix of the best film that maybe not an awful lot of people have seen. Mm-hmm. It stars. Let's see if you can figure it out from oh, from who stars. It stars. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it stars uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Okay. Rachel McAdams. Okay. And Robin Wright. Haven't a clue. Also, bear in mind, I've only had a very small thing of coffee today. Yes, I yes, 
Okay, cool. Oh, Willem Dafoe was in as well. It was directed by Anton Corbin. It was released, I think, in 2014. It is based on a book by John Le Car- or Carey. I don't know how you pronounce Sorry, John. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce your name. It's a most wanted man. Have you ever seen it? Oh, yeah. Not a film we would have thought of at all. No. No. Uh, it's one of the last performances by the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. It is a very IQ-heavy um psychological thriller with a, obviously a big heavy s- spy slant because that's Le Carre's bread and butter um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a German agent who is trying to lay a trap for someone he believes is financing uh, terrorists uh, and it's a lot of can I trust you I can't trust you can I trust this person no Joy, okay would you well, which, which one of you can I I know I can't trust either of you but which one of you can I trust less more the more the morest the mostest uh, just to get my job done. Uh, from what I understand, at least fifty percent of the people in this room haven't seen it, which is probably a good indication that people. Actually, sound guy, have you seen it? Even heard of it? This is why we do this. Oh, there, look, sh- there are people. There's he's sh- there's he's shaking people. his head no, in case you couldn't hear his his head <laughs> shake from here. Um, it is a fantastic little thriller, but you will have to put the phone away because it, it requires uh, focus, concentration exactly. and maybe a cup of coffee beforehand yeah there's not like I'm explaining the plot to you there's a lot of people like giving glances and that means everything it's one of those films uh, and it is a really really good film if you've never seen it which you probably haven't okay, so yeah. rectify on? that it is on film 4 on Wednesday the 24th of October at 9pm uh, so it's in the evening. You should all be in. The weather looks like it's going to be Look, it's Wednesday. Terrible. Who goes out on a Wednesday? Unless you're going to the cinema, exactly. sit in and watch this film instead. Or just set it to record and watch it over Good the choice. weekend. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. If you're not watching A Most Wanted Man and if you're not going to the cinema, you know what else is available to watch? Things on the Netflix box. Uh-huh. You're on the ball. Which links nicely to our big interview this week. Uh, Paul managed to sit down with the two directors of Making a Murderer, where this season two has launched on Friday the 19th of October. So this weekend, more or less, uh, which means I'm not going to be seeing any of my friends. No. All one of them. I'm not seeing you this weekend uh, because obviously everyone's going to be devouring this. Uh, I remember when the first season dropped and... It started like trinkle out a little bit. People were like, oh, "Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it." And then a few weeks after it came out, it was full like, on obsession. People were cancelling plans left, right, and centre. Like, I can't leave the house because I'm only halfway through Waking Murder, and if I leave the house, someone's going to spoil the ending for me. <sighs> so Paul sat down, chatted to directors. Nice long chat with uh, with the two directors making Murder. Uh, and here's what they had to say about making Murder season two. Hi, this is Laura. Hi, Laura. It's a pleasure to meet you. Hi, it's Moira here too. How are you? Hi, Moira. I'm very good. I'm very good. I have to say congratulations on season two. I've seen four episodes so far and much like season one, it's consumed my life. So you're the reason why I won't have any social life for the next few weeks. (laughs) Oh, well, sorry about that, but thank you for watching. Yeah, thank you so much. It's okay. My friends are overrated anyway. I'd much rather sit and watch your show. Um, speaking of which, I have to say, uh, right from the very off of uh, part two, I got a very strong uh, sense of duty of care from yourselves with the decision to uh, discuss Theresa Holbach's uh, death and have her friends um, included uh, pretty much the first scene. Um, since the show was released, uh, it's obviously been picked up and viewed as entertainment, but there is this very 
it's it's obviously revolving a very serious issue. Was that something you were very keen to stress from the very start? Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, this this story involves, you know, just tragedy all the way around. Um, and that's something we take very seriously. And, you know, in part two, as in part one, um, you know, we cast a very wide net and we invited the Halbach family themselves to participate. Um, once again, in part two, they declined, which, you know, is a decision we understand and more importantly, a decision we totally respect. Um, of course, we would have loved to hear from them directly about how they're feeling and about Teresa, but, um, you know, we, you know, we, we do respect their decision, but we were incredibly grateful that one of Teresa's college friends, Chris Nara, did agree to sit down with us. And, you know, not just that, but he sat down and gave us a very thoughtful interview, um, something that, you know, we could really use in, in a, several of the episodes and, you know, gave us a window into how he was feeling, how, how his friends were feeling. Um, and he also shared archival materials with us so that, you know, we, we could include Teresa because she is, she and, and her family then as sort of vicarious victims of this situation, you know, are a major piece of the story. If I may, I would just add to that, um, that, you know, what, what we heard both directly and through archival material is that the people from Teresa's life wanted to remember her life, not how she died. Um, and they certainly yeah. wanted to celebrate her life. And so, um, in addition to sitting down with Chris Narot, we also tried to utilize, um, you know, local media um, interviews that, that the press did with people who knew Teresa and, you know, were expressing empathy for the family, empathy, you know, about the fact that, um, you know, the story wasn't over, that, there was, that Stephen and Brendan were challenging their convictions and that the family would be pulled back into the system. So we thought all of that was really important to include. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Uh, Kathleen Zellner, who's uh, such a prominent figure throughout the documentary, said, uh, Stephen said she's the best lawyer he's ever seen. And obviously Kathleen has such a history of exoneration and taking cases like this. Was there anything in particular you felt about Stephen that she was attracted to most in the, and in the case in particular? Because she would have had her choice of so many cases like this. Um, well, you know, I, I think that's probably a question best put to her directly. But I guess what we can share is, you know, what she told us herself um, of, um, you know, one thing she said was one moment when watching season one that hit her very strongly was the moment when the verdicts were read and watching Stephen's face, um, that had a very powerful effect on her. But what she also told us was that what it came down to her, to for her was a real intolerance of bullies. And what she recognized in the story she saw was, was a form of bullying. Um, so, you know, I, I think those are some of the things behind what, why she thought about taking the case. But then, of course, it's about looking at the case file and meeting with the client because for her, you know, as, as you allude to, she could really have her pick of cases. Um, she gets many requests to represent people. And, you know, for her, it's about only wanting to represent people that she, she truly believes um, are innocent because, 
you know, she she knows that she has a lot of skills and wants those to be used to, to right wrongs. Um, I have to say, Moira, as an editor of this piece, uh, it's exquisite work because I think, am I correct in saying season one or part one, you had a, like a thousand hours to to, to cut down and, and get into 10 episodes. So it's so uh, massive congratulations on on that to begin with it's such a process thank you um, what, what is that like when you're we're spooling through everything you've got and the editing process is it you're thinking from a, a story perspective is you're thinking what makes narrative sense um, can you kind of explain how it is and, and almost what's kind of left out as well as what's left in um, wow well that's a big question because <laughs> it's, it's a long it's a long process um, you cer- certainly are thinking as a storyteller. Um, you know, I mean, Lauren, my train. You know, we met at graduate film school at Columbia University in New York, which is a narrative film program. So you're learning about three act structure. You know, we we think of Stephen as our protagonist. You know, he has a want. Um, in in season one, it was you know to prove his innocence and clear his name. There were obstacles to that. Um, so, you know, you're thinking in dramatic terms like that. But, um, you know, we're also two people that moved to Wisconsin and shot on location and witnessed these events ourselves and, um, you know, spent hours and hours with these people filming. And so there's an element of, you know, needing to, you know, I, I think maybe much like you know, a poet who has just a few words to try to capture something. Like you, you have just a few, a few clips to try to, you know, capture what this person is really like and, and what their fundamental worldview is. So it's about making choices. Um, but you know, the more the more I work with the footage, and now having edited 20 episodes, um, you know, they often talk about editing as a form of writing in film. But what I've honestly found is I would liken it much more to sculpture, that, you know, somewhere in that marble, you know, it is that is that person. <laughs> and you're chipping away and, and you're discovering it inside. And, you know, once you've chipped away enough, it, it sort of emerges and it was there the whole time. This is Laura. Um, I'd like to say, first of all, I think this is a really smart interview. I'm really, I really appreciate your questions. Oh, thank you so um, much. Very thoughtful. Um, you know, nothing comes to mind. Um, nothing really stands out as, oh, I wish we could have given more screen time to that. I think, you know, what feels incredibly special about our process is I know with season one, you know, we worked at it for quite a long time. And one of the things that we were so grateful for was that by the time we delivered the series, to Netflix and knew that it was going to be released into the world, we truly felt like it was the story we wanted to share with the world. Um, and, you know, people often ask us about part two, you know, um, was did we feel pressure from the success of part one? And and I wouldn't say that I felt that, but I, I was uncertain about how we ourselves would feel, how confident we would feel, how satisfied we would feel when we finally let part two out into the world. And um, I I think we're, you know, we feel good about it. We feel like, um, you know, we're telling a complete story that it's, you know, fully arced out. It has layers. 
Um, we think that there are some important themes that emerge from it. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that there's anything that that I would go back and change about it. Yeah. No, it's um, the first four episodes are fantastic. Thank you. Um, with regards to Brendan, um, I know you had some dealings with Len Kaczynski because uh, when the report was found and his decision was overturned, uh, let's just say it wasn't, it didn't paint him in the most flattering of lights. What was the interaction like when you went back to film him? Because am I right in saying there was a local news crew were filming him and then you arrived and then they wanted to use you and um, it was a bit bizarre. Is that correct? It was a bit bizarre to, you know, have arranged with him a time to show up and then to have found out that he had called the local news to tell to tell them that we were coming. Um, <laughs> so um, that was a little tricky, but we worked that out. Um, we went to the park for a little bit and let them finish up, and then we returned and got back to our work because, you know, that is sort of our focus. Um, you know, Laura alluded to questions about, you know, did we feel pressure for part two, but really when you focus on the work, it's easy to kind of block everything else out. So, um, <laughs> you know, we waited for the news to go away. I, I think they they did still manage to have a story about us somehow on the news. I think they had our van pulling out. But, um, <laughs> but you know, then, then we got back, back to it, which was, you know, sitting down with Len and, you know, really listening to his experience of things, which is, you know, that's what we're primarily interested in, going to the people with firsthand experiences and, you know, encouraging them to share. So um, it was, it was we thought, very generous of him to invite us into his home and, and, you know, to speak with us about, you know, his motivations and his feelings about what had happened. Yeah. Um, obviously, two people that were very prominent uh, throughout the part one and also in part two are um, Jerry and Dean Strang. Um, I know uh, Stephen Avery was quite critical of me. I think he said they screwed up my case. Um, he gave an interview, I think it was with People. Um, what was your dealings with, with the two gentlemen for the, the part two? Did they take that personally or were they? was it just strictly professional? I mean, um, because obviously you'd have a close working relationship with them as well, having filmed them for so long. Yeah, this is Laura. Um, so, you know, we were fortunate to have another opportunity to sit down with uh, Dean Strang and Jerry Buting for part two. And, um, you know, we did ask them about how they would respond to questions about, you know, challenges they faced in representing Stephen and, you know, certainly questions about why they why they thought they got the results they did, why why did they lose? And, you know, um we certainly cover that in part two. Um and you know, we we I'm trying to think what we included of Stephen he But there's uh there's no there's no there's no ill feeling between them towards Stephen Avery and those comments. I mean that's water on the bridge, is it? They certainly did not express to us any ill feelings towards Stephen. I, I don't I don't think even if they had those, they would, you know, um, because they owe an ethical duty to him as, you know, as lawyers who once represented him. So I, I think they, you know, they express empathy for him. And, and you know, I, I think there was at least one report where they said they understood why he would be critical because, you know, after all, he's the one serving life in prison. So... I think they, you know, they expressed an understanding of it. 
Um, with regards to uh, uh, some of the other facets of the documentary, um, was it strange going back in the sense that even yourselves have, have a level of fame now and obviously I think the world is an, uh, considers themselves an expert on the case. Did that impact or was it a hindrance in a way as, as documentarians to object, look, at this, uh, look at this story again? Well, I, I think, you know, we tried to be pretty upfront um, because when we, when we set out to start filming in part two, it became very clear to us that the world we were going back to document was a new world and it was a new, new world precisely because of part one. Um, and, you know, as storytellers, we are very interested, you know, we're constantly trying to create context to understand events. So it's important to us to put the launch of the series and the response to the series and the multifaceted response right right there in the cold open of episode 201. So, you know, that is the context in which part two is taking place. Um, but beyond that, you know, the methods we employ, our, our approach, um, you know, was very similar to part one. You know, there were a few times, just as you mentioned, you know, we are now not anonymous film students, um, Laura and myself. So um, there were a few times, especially sort of public, I guess if you've seen four episodes, you've seen Kathleen's um, filing of her uh, motion for scientific testing at the Manitowoc County Courthouse. Um, so that's an example of, of a big event where we expected media to be there and we thought if we ourselves showed up, you know, the media might turn to us and that would change the events. And, you know, our goal as documentary filmmakers is, you know, to be fly on the wall, to not change the events. We want to document the real world, not one that we're affecting. So, you know, that was an example where we gave our crew instructions, but we ourselves didn't go. And finally, just one last question. Um, a massive congratulations on season two and it's going to be a hit and you deserve it because the amount of effort and work you've put in is, is truly amazing. Um, have you had discussions with Netflix with regards to continuing this story? Obviously, the case involves and there's going to be changes, but um, with even the idea of, of season, th- season three or part three, have you even thought that far ahead or had discussions? I mean, we've certainly thought about it, but... Um you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Of, of course, life continues. You know, the story continues. This is real life. But, um, you know, we'll have to f- figure out what's happening. You know, can we get access to it? But, you know, most importantly, does it have something something new to add? Um, we are very confident that Part 2 did have a lot, of, um, a lot of new things to add, a lot of things viewers would want. Um, so we'll have to... We'll have to answer those questions before we take the plunge. Well, I have to say, um, as someone who's followed the story and and, and your work uh, for the last few years, you've done an exceptional job, truly, truly have. And um, I can't wait for everyone to see it and uh, for you to continue telling this this incredible story. And I'm also delighted that your student debt is now cleared, I hope. (laughs) Yes, that was was an amazing moment. Yeah, Yeah, our our parents are about that too. Um, Thank you so much. any, Pleasure to meet you. No problem. Any, stu- any student that finances their own work is, a, is, is definitely a firm favourite of mine. Aww. Thank you so much for your time, Laura Moira. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Paul chatting to the two directors of Making a Murderer. Uh, season 2 is out on Netflix right now. If you haven't seen Season 1, go watch Season 1. It's great. Uh, and Season 2, I'm sure, will be just as good because that's my weekend plans outside of going to the cinema. And... Um, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Any fun plans for you, Karen? I have to have to think. 
Now, oh, a really good friend of mine has his first ever big play on a real live big stage ever. So I'm going to go and support him in that. I'm very excited to see it. That's incorrect. The answer was I'm going to watch Making Murder season and two. And then I'm going to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's it for this week's uh, 40th special uh, edition of The Big Review. So next week. Next week. Okay. So we may or may not be talking to Julia Roberts. <gasps> We may or may not have Julia Roberts on the show next week, which is no big deal. Like it's only Julia Roberts. It's only Julia Roberts. Yeah, literally, maybe the most famous person in Hollywood right nobody now. Nobody really, in fairness, when you think about it. No, she's There's loads of people like her. There's a lot of there's a lot of people out there. She's just one of them. To be honest, one in a few billion. That's all. So I was looking to sit down and chat to Julia about her new and first ever. TV show Homecoming which is arriving on Amazon Video uh, at the start of November so yeah it was a, it was an interesting conversation and it was an interesting room to be in because oh. Julia Roberts is a, she's rare for an air when it comes to people and uh, it was it was quite the thing to be in her company so you can hear that interview on the big Ruski next week and all the usual reviews you should also know that Rory's eyes have gone all dreamy and glowy and I'm he's got thinking, a funny radiation look around himself right now as he remembers Julia Roberts I'm just I'm just I, we got on really well she complimented my runners we're basically best friends now so besties for life um, so yes uh, on top of the usual reviews previews top tens high clues potential high clue heresy Oh yeah, the uh, high I need to get ah. I need to get the validation that his one was a bit borked this week to be honest. Thank you again, Kara. It's welcome. it's a pleasure as always. And uh, yes, listeners, we will be talking to you next week. Yeah.